Hello, everybody. Welcome to Theory Lab. This is Joe Cotter of our research department here at the American Cancer Society. Uh, my colleague Susanna Greer is on the phone. How are you doing? Hey, Joe. I am. I'm great, and I'm. I'm happier now after this podcast. I'm telling you, this was cool. So, non-daily smokers was the subject. Um, smartphone apps is the tool. We spoke with Dr. Bettina Hupna. She's an experimental psychologist and associate professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School. This is pretty cool. Yeah, this was, this was, I don't know. I, I learn something every time I do one of these podcasts, but this one was, was intense. So first of all, the bad news. So the bad news is, so non-daily smoking. I asked Bettina to tell me what that was just to make sure it wasn't exactly what it sounds like. And it is. So it just means you don't smoke every day. Bettina said that the the average is that you're smoking four of seven days of the week. Um, but it turns out this is a real thing because in the research community, we used to think that this was just kind of a transition, something that people would put up, pick up and then put down. And it looks like that's not the case. It's from what Bettina is going to share with us, it looks like it's persistent and really prevalent. So I think the stat she gave was around 25% of all smokers. And the impact of that habit is significant on health. So what Bettina takes us through is the challenge in this space. So why do people have a non-daily smoking habit? And it's different for the reasons that you might smoke every day. And so the smoking cessation programs that might be impactful for a non-daily smoker also might be different. So I guess I'll give you that as your cliffhanger uh, because she has developed a really interesting mobile technology intervention to help non-daily smokers. And here's the great news. It's available right now. We'll give you the link on how you can download it. It's an app, and I'll let Bettina tell you how it works and why it works. Um, but she has my new favorite tagline ever, and that is that our happiness matters. So let's hear it. Good afternoon, Bettina. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. We're excited to have you. I, I'm so interested to dive into your research, but I think for our listeners that might help just to kind of get a picture of you and what you're all about. Could you maybe just tell us a little bit about what you do? Like what's an average day in your life? So an average day in my life is to run a number of different studies or help to running a number of different studies and then designing the next study. So um, I look at the literature to see what our next needs are and I come up with research questions that are important to study and then write up how we could address it. And then if I get funded for those studies, I then go ahead about recruiting participants, collecting the data and all the day-to-day -day tasks that go with that. You sound busy. <laughs> <laughs> I am. All right, in that science you do all day, you have developed a, a really fantastic reputation for your expertise in a, a kind of an interesting area to me. So non-daily smoking, I think it is self-descriptive, but not something that all of us think about all the time, dividing individuals who smoke into smokers and non-daily smokers can, tell us what that's all about. So what is there something I'm not realizing that might, or you could highlight that defines a non-daily smoker? 
is exactly what you think it is. It is literally smoking on some days, but not all days. And it could be as little as smoking once or twice a month or smoking 25 days a month. On average, it's about smoking four out of seven days in a week. Um, that's what a typical non-daily smoker smokes. And the reason why it's a thing and it's something of interest to us is that it we, we know about this pattern for a while now, but we used to think that it's a, sort of a transition phase, either for people who are trying out smoking and may escalate to become a daily smoker or for daily smokers who want to quit and they're going through a harm reduction kind of phase. Um, but meanwhile, we have realized that this is a persistent pattern where people smoke a certain number of days a month and they do it for years and it's what, it's what they do. And because this is an increasingly prevalent pattern, currently about a quarter of all smokers are non-daily smokers, and in the last 10 years, this rate has gone up by 27%. Um, that's why it's now an important topic for us to understand how we can help non-daily smokers quit smoking. Oh, that's really interesting. So uh, persistent and really prevalent, and all of the negatives that come with smoking come right along with that persistent habit. So, so yeah, this is, is certainly a thing, which was a question. So, okay. So in line with that, for these individuals who we classify as non-daily smokers, well, could you highlight some of the health risks that are associated with this population? Absolutely. And I'll be honest, um, we don't know too much about the specific risks involved of non-daily smoking, simply because we didn't used to think it's a very important uh, group to look at. Um, so we've known for, for a really long time now that no level of smoking is safe. But only recently have we really looked at non-daily smoking compared to those who've never smoked. And for that, data now indicates that non-daily smokers have a 72% higher mortality risk due to cancer, heart disease, and respiratory disease mortalities, resulting in about a five-year decrease in the median life expectancy. And that's non-daily smoking, not those who smoked daily before, but just non-daily smoking compared to never smokers. Oh, wow. Those are startling statistics. So thinking about that, thinking about the persistence of this habit and the prevalence in the population and then this really significant impact on mortality and decrease in life expectancy. So are there populations then that might be more at risk than others for non-daily smoking? There are. Um, and typically these are populations that we think of as being vulnerable or disadvantaged. And they include, for example, young adults, so folks between the ages of 18 to 24 years of age. They include ethnic minority groups, particularly those who have lower levels of acculturation, and persons with mental health disorders, including substance use problems, for example. Um, in all of those population groups, non-daily smoking is more prevalent than in the general population. You may not be able to draw a comparison between all of them, but, but maybe you could. Are, are there reasons why? So I think that's tough. I mean, I can speculate and I can guess. And I think two things that come to mind easily are, one, economic resources. Um, these groups typically have less money to spend on smoking, and smoking is expensive. Um, so that's why by non-daily smoking may simply be more affordable. But the other thing is also that they are experiencing disproportionate amount of stress. And we know globally from global studies that stress is associated with smoking behaviors, including your ability to quit smoking. And in all of these populations, uh, stress tends to be higher. 
All right. So we have groups of people where you see a vulnerability to perhaps take up non-daily smoking, and you think that there may be some risk factors associated with that around economics and, and lifestyle issues around stress. But I, I guess the flip side of that is once they've started these habits of non-daily smoking, how motivated are they to quit? You know, it's interesting. You would think that because we didn't used to know so much about how bad on a health level non-daily smoking is, that perhaps non-daily smokers don't think it's such a big deal. But the reality is that non-daily smokers are actually just as motivated as, as daily smokers to quit smoking. And in fact, they have more and current intentions to quit smoking. And usually, like in cross-sectional surveys, they have more recent and planned cessation efforts than daily smokers. So just as motivated, uh, unfortunately, also just like daily smokers, just as unsuccessful in their court attempts. So there's not been much study on that, but uh, current estimates are that it's about 82% of non-daily smokers who fail in their quit attempts. Oh, wow. That's a really high number. So I guess let's dive into that a little bit. Why do you think that might be the case? What kind of barriers exist in smoking cessation programs that, I guess, maybe are there things that differ, barriers that might differ if you're a non-daily smoker? So stress, of course, I mentioned already, and that's a barrier for both daily and non-daily smokers in terms of giving up something that helps them during times of stress that they can uh, reach for. Um, but then there are also other challenges that non-daily smokers have highlighted. And again, we don't have a lot of data on these things, but one of the things that they highlight is um, the difficulty in navigating social situations smoke-free that they typically have smoked in. So it could be being at home with a partner who smokes. It could be attending certain social events where everybody around them is smoking and they're expected to smoke. And these are the things that trip them up in the couple of weeks uh, right after quitting that makes them relapse. And that's something that is uh, more relevant for non-daily smokers than daily smokers who um, smoke not just in these settings but also throughout the day in other circumstances. Um, but by contrast, the things that non-daily smokers aren't worried about is withdrawal symptoms, and that's where it dovetails from the smoking cessation programs, because our smoking cessation programs are all built on heavy smoking, and we always assume that smokers are nicotine dependent, and we treat it as such, so we offer nicotine replacement therapy, for example, and that is just, a, you know, it doesn't fit for non-daily smokers. So, and I speculate here um, that that's one of the reasons why they don't reach out more for smoking cessation support um, because it doesn't speak to them. It, they think that something is being treated that doesn't apply to them. So how could this program be helpful? And the programs can be helpful because nicotine dependence isn't the only thing that's being talked about, but it's a very prominent piece of it. Um, and what we do know, so I speculate about the reason why, but we do know that non-daily smokers engage less in smoking cessation support than daily smokers. Oh, that's really interesting. So, and I can certainly understand what you shared about the thoughts that non-daily smokers have that the programs that exist just don't really jive, don't really jive with their habits mm -hmm. and, and why they smoke. I like what you said, that they just don't speak to them. So mm -hmm. one of the areas that you've been really impactful in has been around mobile health technologies. And, and we've talked about mobile health technologies before on the podcast, but I guess I want to start, maybe we could start at the beginning for you. So why did you decide to use smartphones as a 
particular tool for this population for smoking cessation? How does that kind of jive with all the things you've told us about their motivations for smoking and the challenges that they have with quitting? So for me, it's always been a matter of reach. When we design intervention, we want to reach as many people as possible. And we want to, more, uh, more importantly, we want to reach people equitably so that anybody has a chance to participate in support that can help them live happier and healthier lives. The problem is that nowadays, and probably always, everyone is busy, and it's really hard, for example, to come in for an in-person treatment. Not only do you have to get there, you also have to make time for the actual session itself. Um, you can engage in a phone session and video sessions these days, but even for that, you need to set aside a larger chunk of time, and you have to be willing and comfortable to engage in that kind of um, encounter with a healthcare professional to talk about your smoking and how you can become smoke-free, and that's not for everybody. Uh, meanwhile, a smartphone app doesn't require a lot. You can fit it in in all the spaces in between while you're waiting for a bus or a train, while you're sitting in a waiting room waiting for a doctor's appointment, and all of those times you can do a meaningful task within an app that leads you for a smoking cessation attempt. Um, and that can be very powerful. And even the times when you will be tempted to reach for your cigarette, you can reach mm. for your smartphone instead and remind yourself of why it is that you're not reaching for the cigarette. Oh, fantastic. So that's really interesting. So you're right. Every, almost everyone has a smartphone. So you're when you think about equitable reach, you're certainly going to be able to reach many people through mm -hmm. an application that's delivered through a smartphone. And your thought around it is that it's not a phone call that you're making to have to do something at a specific time, but using an app that you could use anytime and maybe at a time where a non-daily smoker is, is being challenged, like a time of stress or a social situation. Mm -hmm. So... Okay, all of that makes sense. So you and your team are developing a smartphone app that, it, it sounds really fascinating, it, it targets happiness. Can you tell us a little bit about your app? So it targets happiness as a part of a smoking cessation program. So I guess first I'd like to hear about it and then let's dive a little bit more into what you found so far. Okay. So I think the most important thing I want to say about the app is that it's really available right now for anybody who just wants to take a look at it or try it out. So all you have to do is go to Google Play or the iStore and type in smiling instead of smoking and you'll find our app. Or you can just go to our website on the Harvard Scholar page and put in my name, Bettina Höppner, and you'll get right to it. So that's the most important thing. And the reason why, well, I'll tell you first what the app does and then I'll tell you why it does it. So what the app does, it engages um, people who are using the app in daily positive psychology exercises. So every day it tells you to do a certain task and to, and to respond with a text entry of your task completion. And the idea here is that we want to maintain or potentially increase happiness as you're going along to put actual emphasis on happiness. And the exercises we put in the app are those that have been validated in other studies and our own studies before. So these, these studies have been shown to increase how you're currently feeling. Um, and while you're doing that, that's 
of something you do every day in the app. And then from time to time, every three to four days, the app gives you a behavioral challenge. It leads you through the quit attempt. So it starts, of course, with setting the quit date. Then you do things like specifying your personal reasons for quitting smoking. We make you look at all the wonderful benefits that there are in quitting smoking. Um, you reflect back on your own triggers of smoking and think about strategies for avoiding smoking in those situations. And it's step by step. And again, it's, it's small snippets. It's not a chunk of time we have to dedicate at one time. It's every couple of days a, a task that's meaningful, that's timely, that keeps you on track of your attempt. And what the app also does is it allows you to track your smoking. So for any cigarette you smoke, you enter it so that you have a nice graph showing you when to quit, um, how much, uh, how you are no longer smoking and what you used to smoke. And for every time you also smoke, you specify your reasons to just kind of help you remember what proportion. Was it all because you were, was it craving? Was it stress? Was it you want to, you want to celebrating mode? What was the reason mm. you smoked that cigarette? And for each one of those triggers, different strategies might be useful. And we then link um, your reason for quitting with specific strategies to use during that time. So that's what the app does. Let me make sure I understand. So this, this sounds okay. amazing. So it sounds like you have a combination of exercises. You describe them as psychological exercises and in combination with the behavioral, with behavioral tasks that you don't have to do all the time. You do them every couple of days and then in combination with a tracking device that allows you to track how you're doing. So I guess the, the bottom line that came out of your kind of summary to me was this is incredibly personalized, which is just really, really impressive. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's very user-driven. You have to put the information in in order for it to be useful. But yes, it helps you keep track of how you're doing and what might work for you. And right. it spaces out of our time, so it's, it's not like you do one session and then hopefully everything is fine. The app is with you throughout the process. It starts, you know, in the week or two weeks before your actual quit date, and there's meaningful activities and tasks to engage with for the six weeks following your quit attempt to really stay on track with staying quit. Oh, that's just impressive. So, and, and it's available now, and, and we'll, <laughs> we'll definitely <laughs> link to your website and, and how our listeners can find um, your app smiling instead of smoking but but yeah tell us why happiness why this focus so the reason we chose happiness is because well many reasons we know that mood is very important um, in smoking but we typically have been looking at negative affect um, but Increasingly so, the connection between happiness and health is, uh, is being studied and looked at and documented. And in smoking as well, there are several findings that really speak to the potency of happiness, not the not negative affect, but happiness in smoking, where we know, for example, that during times then you have, when you have positive affect, when you're feeling happy, you're less likely to crave a cigarette, to want to smoke. And we can even induce it in laboratories. So exposing folks to a positive cue, say a kitten, a baby, sunshine, showing them happy pictures that increase their positive affect will then trigger them to or have a lower urge to smoke. And that works both in daily and non-daily smokers, by the way. Hmm. So there's a functional, there's a relationship rule here between happiness and your urge to smoke. It's also related, um, happiness also related to your confidence in quitting. And confidence in quitting is actually very important. It's one of the best predictors of your smoking cessation outcome. Uh, so keeping people confident that, yes, I can do this, is also linked to your happiness. Now, 
the, sad, the unfortunate thing is that while you're quitting smoking, typically your happiness goes down. And that makes sense because you're doing something new, you're doing something challenging, you're giving up something that's been helping you before, so it's going to be harder for a little while. It's like, you know, learning something new. At first it's, you know, things get worse, but then you're getting better over time. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to help offset that expected decrease in happiness by saying we recognize that it's going to be hard, so let's put focused attention on staying happiness and staying, uh, on staying happy and staying positive so that you will have uh, the mental resources to deal with the challenges that come up in quitting smoking. And that's the approach that we're taking in our app. Oh, that's so impressive. So <laughs> I guess we have a choice. <laughs> As we think about the challenges of quitting smoking, we know that the happier we are, the more likely, I guess, we are to both have the motivation to quit and the ability to sustain those efforts. And you also added in that that we know there's going to be a, a dip in happiness as we undergo those attempts to quit smoking. So, I guess we have a couple of choices. We can surround ourselves with maybe things that make us happy. I love that you mentioned kittens and babies and sunshine, but all those things aren't things that you can just do all the time, but an app is. So this is a, mm -hmm. a tool that anyone can use anytime they're feeling challenged. And I guess another word that you might use for challenge would be unhappy. So that's great. Yeah. The thing is that, you know, the, the, the daily happiness exercises are speaking about your personal life and the idea is that you really become more aware of all the positive things that are happening in your life. It's really just redirecting your attention. For all of us, we have challenging things and we have positive things and oftentimes the challenging things suck up all of our attention. And the, the intent of the exercises is to redirect and say, yes, there are challenges. At the same time, we need to acknowledge there's also good things, positive things, things that give us strength, things that make us keep going. And it's very important to spend time with those thoughts as well. It sounds like this is something that you've been doing for a bit, right? Helping us to acknowledge, well, I guess, quite frankly, the happiness in our life and to use that. Um, to sustain us through a challenge. And in this case, the specific challenge is to quit smoking. So do you, do you have any preliminary data that you could share with us regarding uh, are people using the app and is it impactful? Yeah, so we have completed uh, study one, which is based on version one of the app. And that one was the study we did with 30 non-daily smokers who we saw in our Boston offices. So we had a chance to show them the app and then we said, please use it for three weeks. Back in the day, we only did three weeks. Now we're doing seven weeks of support. Um, and then we did surveys with them over time to see how they're doing over time with the app. And the results are very positive. So from the almost 30 participants, 90 felt that the app helped them in quitting by helping them stay on track and boosting their confidence. But we actually look at those, those kinds of scales to see, you know, how did they measure at baseline and how did they measure as after their quit attempt. Their confidence in quitting increased, their urge to smoke decreased, and their perceptions of smoking became less positive, which is very important mm -hmm. because if you think smoke, smoking is great, you're going to keep doing it. So all of those is what we would expect and hope for, and we did see that in our participants in study number one. And then quit rates. Uh, you can't really interpret quit rates until you put it into a randomized trial because people who do partake in a study um, want to quit and are really motivated. Nevertheless, 
they are very promising. If we'll hold up in an RCT, you're doing great. Um, so 30% of our participants had biochemically verified abstinence in the two weeks right after the quit. And then we asked them at six months later how they did, 48% reported having successfully quit. Um, so that sounds great. We'll see when we do the RCT, the randomized trial, how that holds up. But very promising. Oh, and you asked about actual usage, and that's interesting. Because typically for apps, you see sort of like use for a couple of days, and then it just stops. And our participants have been using the app, like on average, 80% of the participants log in on any given day from hmm. the first, you know, the three weeks of the app use. And when we thought, well, that's great. So for three weeks, we can keep them using the app and engaging with our activities. How about if we make it longer to provide more support? Well, then is that too much of an ask? Is that too much to do? And that's study two. So here we now have seven weeks of support, six weeks post-quit. And the rates are also very good, where we have um, very high usage rate throughout the period, where people really do come back to the app and use it um, on a near-daily level. Wonderful. So you're having, at least in this initial trial, you have individuals who are using not well first of all not only using the app which I think you're right is it, I mean there's so many apps to choose from so many distractions um, so they're not only using it but they are being successful so they're uh, appreciating the effort and being successful in the ultimate goal which um, is, is around I mean these quit rates are really impressive so that's fantastic um, we'll look forward to look forward to what's to come I I have a, a question. So to me, the the brilliant piece here is really around the impact that you could have in health equity, because you're right, almost, almost everyone, not only in the United States, but um, in many other countries in the world has access to a smartphone where they could download this app for free. So mm -hmm. What do you think about the potential for your efforts to impact um, not only behaviors, but also the, the equitable distribution of this tool to vulnerable populations? So um, the, there's two things here. So there's the, the reach, and I agree with you, and that's the reason why we're doing this on smartphone. Um, so we know that right now 77% of adults have a smartphone, and that number is just going up and up and up, particularly in, for instance, lower-income Americans and those in the ages of 50, uh, where we used to think that we can't reach those populations, but nowadays we do, and that number is increasing. And for smokers, particularly those who want to quit smoking, that number is even higher. It's about 83% um, who have a smartphone. So there's access there. But then there's the question of getting the word out, right, of how will they actually find an app that is efficacious, one that works. So right now, if you go into Google Play or ISO, there's probably like two to 300 smoking cessation apps out there. But when you look at the science, there's about five or so scientifically developed apps um, that have a basis in science of why they do the things they do. And it's very difficult to find, you know, which one is which um, if you're on the consumer end and you're just trying to find something that works. So, and the challenge also is, of course, that it takes time to, to test this. I mean, I've been doing this work for a while, but we are still in this kind of development phase where we are putting it out there and we're really asking for feedback from smokers to make it what they want it to be 
in terms of the interface and functionality and all those things. And then we're going to test it next year starting April in a randomized trial. Um, but then collecting data from a randomized trial takes time, and only at that point would we then go ahead, if it comes out positive, that we have evidence that it works. And that's down the road, and only then can you go and advertise it as such and make it really easy for folks to, to find. And in order for folks to find things that work, you really need agencies on a higher level that already have the reach um, to their trusted, reputable sources like the ACS saying this is something that we know works and um, if you, you know, they can come to trusted resources to find out which apps they can use for what purpose. Sure. So hopefully at least for our, for our listeners now can help to provide some of that uh, data that you need, that feedback, and then we'll continue to engage. And certainly the ACS, we are particularly excited about what you're doing and we'll look forward to forwarding, um, following you and uh, seeing what we can do to help. So I, I do have one question around um, funding. So I know the American Cancer Society has funded some of your research. I'd, I'd be really interested in understanding how that's impacted you and what you do. Honestly, quite profoundly, because this is by far my favorite research project that I'm engaged in. And um, I'm really grateful to the ACS because they really, they took a risk on me. Uh, what I did when I proposed the original grant was very risky and ill-advised from a grantsmanship perspective because I proposed to do three new things at once. And you usually want to do one new thing, maybe two, but definitely not three new things. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to focus on non-daily smokers. I wanted to use a smartphone app. And I wanted to leverage positive psychology to help people quit smoking. And all those th three things were new at the time. And I really, I was compelled by the synergy between these factors because non-daily smokers aren't attracted by the current uh, smoking cessation uh, program. So I wanted to do a new thing, something that would attract them, that would uh, appeal to them. And the pursuit of ha happiness is universally appealing. So I wanted to try that. And of course, uh, the REACH one is something that just always compels me. Um, a treatment is only useful if people can actually access it. And ACS took a chance to fund their research, and I've been very grateful and been enjoying that work. Now I'm an associate professor at Harvard Medical School and really enjoy the opportunities that I have for doing this work. You're right. All of these things that you describe as being high risk, um, your focus group of non-smoking, the fact that you were developing an app, and the fact that it was uh, nested in positive psychology, you're right. Those are the things that make it really <laughs> exciting. So uh, we're awfully glad to be a part of this. Um, I want to let you get back to your work, but I do have one my one kind of final question for you, and that's that many of our listeners are either cancer patients or folks who love them. So is there a particular message that you would like to share with these listeners? Absolutely. And I think that message for me is that happiness matters, and it matters profoundly. It's not frivolous. It's not trivial. It's something that's very important. Sometimes it's providing an oasis and a stressful day to really live in a happy moment. More importantly, going forward, experiencing happiness and really fostering happiness puts us on a better trajectory um, towards health, better health behaviors, and uh, a more fulfilling life. So, I think there's increasing evidence, for example, here at the Harvard School of Public Health, we have a whole center for health and happiness that's dedicated to studying and documenting the linkage bet uh, between health and happiness. Uh, and that's just, you know, one of the many signs of how much more we become aware of the importance of that in our lives. Um, so I just want to remind everybody that your happiness matters. 
And if you want to download our app to, app to see if uh, our app can help in staying on track with happiness, that would be wonderful. And certainly if you have, know anybody who wants to quit smoking, please do tell them about our app. Oh, Bettina, thank you so much. This was just a, a really fun and impactful conversation. And um, I absolutely love your, you have a new tagline, uh, your happiness <laughs> matters. So um, thank you for all you do. We're excited for you. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me. This has been great. All right. Best of luck. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.